So shmup devs, if you're listening, give us microbiology. Yeah, give me Slim Goodbody, the STG. <laughs> I would buy that. <laughs> I think I would too. Just you know, it's sort of the reason why people are like, why do you own a Bob Ross Chia Pet? Well, it looked fun at the time. I think the I think the operative question should be, why wouldn't you own a Bob Ross Chia? Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that serves up more seafood than Red Lobster. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission, as always, is... Addicted or addicted to shmups. Indeed. And RFGeneration.com, as I said, is where you want to be. Uh, that is a great website with lots of gaming content and information, articles on the front page, a huge database where we've got all kinds of different games and game variants where you can catalog your library or collection of games. And uh, we have a forum with some fun posts. And of course, that's where we host the Shmup Club playthroughs, along with the regular RF Generation playthrough that we do each month. Plus, we have an active Discord so come on over to rfgeneration.com and sign up there. It is all free to use. Yeah, and it really helps out for collection tracking purposes. It saved me many a time. I, I, just yesterday, I almost bought my 26th copy of Silent Service. I had to look <laughs> it up and make sure. <laughs> yes, and now that I've, uh, now that I've moved to Android, uh, I actually get to use the Android app for the site, which I quite like. And is very convenient. So, plug for that. That's free also. Uh, so, the game of the month for October 2020 was Darius, or Darius Twin. Um, but before we get into that, let's take a look at the question of the month, which we threw out on Twitter. Uh, well, you can follow us there, at ShootCoreCast. And so, we asked the question, The Darius series is iconic because of its aquatic robot theme. What other aesthetic or design concept do you think would work well in a shmup? So we got a few responses from that. Uh, at Fran underscore Freaky says, Well, the gods. I mean, our gods from all cultures. They've gained a lot of power, so it's time for humanity to take control of the situation. And I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, there have been a couple of, of games that sort of go peripheral to that. Like you've got Phileos... Um, which is sort of that Greek mythology theme and Gynog or Winds of War that um, also kind of has a little bit of that Greek mythology flavor, but really nothing that is a sort of, you know, God of War type take on the Greek gods or, or you know, take on the other things. I, maybe Pawarumi hey. with that sort of future Aztec kind of theme. 
You forgot to make a dumb joke here. What everyone's thinking is shmup of war. A shmup of war, yes. <laughs> we haven't had a shmup of war yet. You know, we need a shmup where a, a com- uh, an older commanding officer can talk to a younger uh, shmup pilot who just so happens to be his son, so he can say, Boy! <laughs> Jeez, boy! <laughs> Uh, but yeah, th- that would be an interesting, interesting idea. Our, our next one comes to us from at Shmup Junkie. Dragons, lots and lots of dragons. It's well established every shmup ever made with a dragon is bad. Well, I can't say it, kids. <laughs> Not on this family-friendly show. More of that, please. Yeah. And responding to Shmup Drunkie, we had at Dreadstar Game, who says, Space Dragons. Can't ever go wrong with Space Dragons. And of course, with that, he posted a picture of, uh, <laughs> they posted a picture of a Space Dragon from the Dreadstar Game, which is a forthcoming uh, Shmup, or I think it might have been released now. Um, uh, there was a trailer for it d- that played during Shmup Slam 3, and I've kind of been following the development on Twitter. Looks uh, looks pretty decent. Definitely some Tyrion in the DNA there, which for me is not a bad thing. All right, our next one comes to us from at Shinu Games. Waifus, you can never go wrong with space waifus, and oh, I think you can. Yeah. But uh, there, it's currently on sale for the eShop for those who are uh, curious. Yeah, yeah, and we had a couple of responses. Uh, Someone uh, th- that responded to that and uh, at Jehudi88 says, I second that. Ghostblade HD and Genga Force have some pretty awesome women pilots. And yeah, actually, that's surprising. There are a lot of female pilots in Shmups. Uh, I mean, you think of the Alest series and uh, Arrow Flash on the Sega Genesis has a has a female pilot, of course, Blazing or uh, Polestar. So there have been quite a few over the years. The I can't remember their names, but the two characters from Battlemania or Troubleshooter. Oh, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't remember their names either, but the great series, great series, and uh, Glaylancer. Mm, yes, one. Glaylancer. I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely more of an inclusive genre. Yeah. <clears throat> so our next response is from at Risk System Game microscopic life I think that would be cool to see I, I you know, think back to the angry video game nerd in his review on the uh, double vision review with the Coleco vision and with uh, oh, and the, and the name sort of escaped me now but uh, Steve Goodbody mm, yes. I mean, yes I could, I could see him featuring there with a or inner space <laughs> inner I could space. see the inner space shmup I think that would be cool. But I think that the company that really ran with this type of microscopic life is Life Force. I realize it's not quite microscopic, but the whole Salamander series or Life Force series really runs off of that. Yeah. The one example I can think of is actually an early example, which is Fantastic Voyage. That was out on the 2600, and... That's when I remember playing as a kid, where 
you're in a sort of spaceship that is shrunk down to microscopic size so that you can be injected into the bloodstream of someone who's very sick and essentially shoot down uh, all of these bad microbes and and uh, things like that. So, you know, it do- it doesn't go full on with it because, of course, there's only so much you can do graphically on the Atari 2600. But uh, that's one that I would I would recommend looking into uh, because it's a solid it's a solid enough game from that era, and I certainly had fun with it. But yeah, it would be cool to see more of that kind of thing, you know, instead of high fantasy or floating waifus or spaceships or military. You know, it would be cool to kind of see an interspace type of of shooter where you were a spaceship or, you know, some kind of craft shrunk down and then put inside of a a human body to fight disease or, you know, going, going tiny to sort of blow apart, you know, atoms and things like that for, for dangerous substances or whatever it is. I mean, I'm just kind of spitting for great justice for great justice. Yeah. But, but it would be interesting to, uh, to kind of see that explored more. So shmup devs, if you're listening, give us microbiology. Yeah, give me Slim Goodbody, the STG. <laughs> I would buy that. <laughs> I think I would too. Just yeah, you know, it's sort of the reason why people are like, why do you own a Bob Ross Chia Pet? Well, it looked fun at the time. I think the I think the operative question should be, why wouldn't you own a Bob Ross Chia? Dad hair. All right. <laughs> so our next response comes from at Ken Moody. He said, maybe spaceships. <laughs> you know, I, I, w- I would have to say some more space-themed shooters would definitely fit the bill. We've gone from a long way from the Gradius series. It's been a while since we've seen anything such as with the Gradius 5 and Platinum. And it's been a while. We haven't seen much from... Uh, the I know Space Invaders has had a couple more ideas, but some more space-themed shooters would help flush it out. I would like to see something a little bit more innovative in the way that they deal with this, something more than your standard system. I, I think there could be a lot of innovation done here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders if, if that comment was a bit sarcastic because we've kind of moved, like you said, we sort of moved away from the space uh, theme a lot because, I mean, you think about it, back in the day, a lot of these games were called spaceship shooters or space shooters and obviously there was military stuff too, like Tiger Heli and Twin Cobra and those kinds of games but a lot of the a lot of the heavy hitters of the early days were all based in space. And so, you know, now that we've kind of moved to flying lollies and all sorts of other, you know, aesthetics. We've really matured by going from spaceships to flying lollies. Well, you know, (laughs) flying lollies or, uh, or things like Nico, Nico, Nico Navy with the flying cats. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good that that there's a, a variety but yeah, it would be it, yeah. it would be good to see some quality shoot 'em ups that are a return to 
more of an original aesthetic. And so that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to with the uh, forthcoming R-Type Final 2, which is set to release uh, next March, end of next March. I'm looking forward to seeing something a little bit more traditional in that sense. Yeah, you forgot to refer to the uh, Ataris as the space age of gaming. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, the, as the AVGN put it on their spaceship shoot laser, bo- go boom. <laughs> right. pretty much <laughs> what you got in the 2600. I, don't get me wrong, I do love that age and looking forward to trying some more around that time frame. But the, it really does feel like every other game was spaceship shooting <laughs> a laser at some target and then followed by a large and uh, colorful explosion. Yeah. Which is probably one of the reasons why many developers moved away from that, that aesthetic. Yep. And we have gone the way of the finger and the way of the waifus and the way of the cats. Yep. I mean, shmups have bodybuilders. Shmups have been made out of, it's one genre where you can make literally anything your main character, as long as it goes pew, pew. Right. You are good. So, speaking of changing things for the genre, our next one comes from Zoido, and he mentions cats. <sighs> Not to refer to the musical. We are referring to flying cats here and going after treats in the form of Neku Navy. I've tried this out for myself and found it really enjoyable and look forward to the physical release whenever that happens. But it's on the eShop right now, and it's definitely worth picking up. Have you tried this? I have not tried it yet, but I did pre-order the the physical version. Uh, so yeah, in a way, it's like uh, you're going from pew-pew to mew-mew. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, at least it's not... Uh, <laughs> you imagine if it's just like... Uh, uh, we may, we have dragging shmups and bird shmups. You manage to bird shop up or a chicken every time you press the button you just hear a rooster crow over and over again oh man oh that would get on my nerves for a while well anyways <laughs> <laughs> so our shmup of the month for october is when you think of halloween in october you think of seafood <laughs> darius twin and darius twin was published developed and published by taito corporation and it was really the first of its kind for on the home console for having two player that's where the twin comes from all the other home ports before that had been single player only yes it's uh, as mentioned before in the question it's a very long running series in which you fight against aquatic enemies the arcade versions are famous for having three 24 inch monitors also along the lines of Ninja Warriors, which made it stand out in the arcades and leave a memorable impression. If you can ever find an arcade, definitely pop a quarter and something to behold. And I was really interested in trying this out as a home adaptation. It's, I guess you could call it, the, this really takes place between Darius 1 and 2, right? This is more Darius 1.5. Um, actually, I think this takes place after Darius 2. Um, I reckon this takes place in between, more important than it takes place in 5. In fact, this brings to a good question. There's an elephant in the room here I have to figure out. <clears throat> so the story that's in the instruction book makes it seem like tw- 2,000 years have passed and <clears throat> since they evacuated planet Darius and the, then 
everything's good in the descendants but if you read the story synopsis for the demo screen for the super nintendo version it sounds like they fled darius and then the two heroes now it's now 2000 years later but the two heroes come back and just start fighting it's like are they are they somehow the same race as baby yoda what is going on here <laughs> it really does if you read it it makes it seem like they're 2000 years older and then they just get in their ships and go fight yeah i don't i don't think it's the same people because the way that the story synopsis that i found basically says that they that the two pilots were inspired by proko and tiat oh inspired by it's one you know it's one of those uh not uh what's not like pseudo sequel what's the word that what's the word that everybody uses now like an homage yes it's not the same we changed just enough to avoid copyright (laughs) let's start by talking a little bit about the game here as we mentioned Darius started in 1987 with the original arcade hit the three monitor their driest two slimmed it down to just two screens while keeping the same core gameplay you want to talk a little bit about Sagaya Oh, yeah, Sagaya was like a variant or a, a different version of Darius 2 for the international release, which I'm not sure why they changed the name, but that's what en- ended up coming home to the Sega Genesis and the Master System in, of course, a single-screen version because, uh, you, you know, you can't hook up a, a game console to multiple TVs at once, at least not uh, normally. And so the game was adapted into a single-screen version for that. And then, of course, with the Darius Twin, they had to shrink it down to a single-screen anyway because it was made for the home console. And so I think it was the first time that a new Darius game that had no previous stages or areas based on previous games in the series had been built... Uh, purpose-built, I guess you could say, strictly for a single-screen experience or a single-monitor experience. Yeah, and it came out pretty early in the Super Famicom or Super Nintendo's lifetime in March 1991. Yeah. And that's at the tail in the launch window. Right. Although it didn't hit Europe or Australia until 93, man. They missed out. Right. Yeah, and and it it wasn't super early for the Super Famicom, but for the Super NES, it was, uh, I think, the tail end of the launch window when it finally hit. And so, yeah, it was pretty early. I remember a, uh, a friend of mine, when I was a kid, rented a Super NES uh, one weekend and got Super Mario World and Darius Twin. And so I remember playing very briefly with him, two-player on the game, and uh, enjoying that at the time. But, you know, I didn't get more than a few minutes with it. Well, if it made you insert quarters every time you played, I can understand why. <laughs> you want to talk a quick about the team members? Yeah, um, one of the things that is kind of a constant with the Darius series is the music. And of course, that is provided by Taito's in-house music production group or band, Zuntata. And so, from my understanding, Norihiro Furukawa and Kazuyuki Onui uh, are credited for audio in the game. Some other of the games that they were involved in were Sagaya, Super Space Invaders, Night Striker, Galactic Storm, and Gridseeker, which we played previously. One of the things that the Darius series is also well known for 
in addition to the multiple screens and the audio, you know, the music portion is the branching paths. Um, it's something that was introduced within the very first game and has carried forward in the series on, I believe, just about every entry in the series where you start out with a single level that you get to play as your introductory stage. And then from there, you get to choose a path based on, or you get to choose your next level based on a set of branching paths. So you go from one stage to being able to pick from the next two. And then depending on the game, you know, it's it's one of multiple stages that you get to pick from there. In this game, the layout is a little bit different. It's not just a sort of triangle where it starts to one and then branches to two and then to three and then to four, etc. This one sort of goes one to two, back to one. So stage three is always the same. And then it kind of fans out from there and then back down to a final stage, which is always the same. But the branching paths thing definitely adds more value in a way because there's more game there to play. And it also, um, you know, adds the re replay value because obviously your experience is going to be different depending on the order that you pick and the the stages that you go through. And the other thing that's that's cool about that is apparently the game has multiple endings. And so there are conditions to meet in order to get the best ending in the game. There are a couple of stages that you have to make sure you hit. And also, I believe you have to do a no death run in order to meet that requirement to get the absolute best ending of the game. Uh, sadly, I was not good enough to, <laughs> to achieve that, but I did, I did get to clear the game. Uh, so that's that's a thing. But yeah, the branching paths is definitely something that that they introduced. And there haven't been a lot of games since then uh, that have really run with that idea. Uh, you know, the only one I can think of right off the top of my head is is Hydora or Super Hydora. That is sort of riffing on Gra Gradius and Darius anyway, in a lot of ways. But yeah, not too many not too many other shmups. I mean, I guess like Tyrion and some of the uh, some of the European design shooters, but not a lot of of shooting games that sort of allow you to pick your your stage order. I can think of one. Well, Thug of Force. Yeah, your favorite shmup. Yes. Sure, but I mean that's like you're picking the order of the first four stages. Right. But you know, after that, it's totally static. And it's and it's like you're you're gonna play those stages every time regardless. You know, this is one of those where there are stages that you can skip, and you're only gonna see seven of these stages or what have you during the course of the game. And so it does make the experience quite a bit different. Um, whereas with something like Thunder Force four or, or three or whatever, you're gonna play all of these levels. It's just a matter of what order you play them in because of either you're good at this level or that level. And so, you know, you want to kind of get in and get some weapons and things so that you're better equipped for the ones that you have more trouble with. But with the Darius series, there are entire stages that you can skip based on where you go through the game. Now, you can't skip every stage. Obviously, the first stage is going to be the same every time. Stage three is going to be the same every time. And the final stage is going to be the same every time based on the, the branching paths on the map. But it, it does give you a lot more variety built in than 
most any other shooter on shooter on the market. And it's interesting that the Darius series introduced that mechanic immediately, and it was really ahead of its time in that sense. Nobody else was doing that. I think it solves a problem that Sega initially had with the Genesis, where the Sega would bring the arcade home, but the arcade games that are brought home by themselves are intrinsically fun for about 30 minutes. You probably know in the arcade version of Strider, you paid maybe 60 or $70, you could beat it in half an hour. You pay, let's say, uh, Fantasy Zone 2. I'm sorry, not Fantasy Zone. Uh, yes, uh, Fantasy Zone 2. I'm sorry. They're, 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 in the beginning of the Genesis life, they had a, just a bunch of arcade conversions, which were great. However, they didn't offer much replay value after a couple hours. And this is a great way to solve that by right? giving the players branching paths and something new to explore and always coming back. I, I think that the game that I always think of when you look at branching paths is the Castlevania series. When you can choose, especially Castlevania 3 and lead up to the seminal uh, Castlevania 4. Right. Really good stuff coming around this time. Yeah. So, as we go from really good stuff to interesting stuff, we talked about our 2,000-year-old story here. Let's go from the instruction book version. Once a millennia ago, the untrinkled world of Darius was invaded by a race of star-hopping barbarians under the control of galactic tyrant Belsar. The peace-loving Dariusites were ill-prepared for such an invasion, and most fell quickly. However, before the entire planet succumbed to Belsar's domination, a brave young couple, Proko and Tiet, led a resistance effort and managed to escape with many of their fellow Darasites to sectors of space that were still free. It sounds like a uh, real 80s show, right? You expect like this big toy line from this. As the centuries passed, the descendants of the resistance movement multiplied and prospered and populated many worlds. On Orga, a world of uncommon resources, they established the command center for the Galactic Freedom, a governing body that united all the peaceful worlds of the galaxy. After a thousand years, the forces of Belisar again decided to expand their empire and headed spaceward to conquer the people who escaped them centuries earlier, branching ever outward Belsar seized control of even more planets in the solar system. Inspired by the legends of Proko and Tiet, two of the Federation's best pilots now ready their spacecraft for the long galactic battle that awaits them. These vessels, advanced technological miracles called Silverhawks, are able to transform energy into powerful weapons and armament. It is your mission to pilot a Silverhawk, defeat Belsar's forces, on each of the planets along your selected route, and reach Darius and destroy the formidable Alloy Lantern, a mechanical fortress from which all of Belsar's technological strength springs. Belsar's original world remains unknown, but the most known scientists believe it was largely oceanic because all of Belsar's technology seems patterned after aquatic life forms. <laughs> it's interesting to to. Th- hear that story and think about how that's kind of a convenient way for them to explain why you're fighting robot fish 
Yeah, it's it's uh, you expect like this to be a movie trailer in your in a world populated by giant robot fish. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, you, know, you see him do like open shot of Dura, a planet Darius, and you see this giant angelfish rising up, and then followed by some more and more as they head on there. I mean, it, it's it's very eighties, like late eighties, in the way that it it's written in in. I mean this in the most sincere and best way. It, it's it's really corny, and I love it. Oh yeah, I mean, th- this is the kind of thing that I go nuts for because it it's from that era, and it's it's sort of written at a time where these are the sorts of plots that I think game development teams hoped would entice uh, kids my age, and at the time they did. You know, at least for me. One interesting thing to note, I know that we'll probably mention this again when we actually cover the original Darius game, but the two heroes from the original, Proko and Tiat, if you take their names and put them together and reverse them, it literally is Taito Corp. <laughs> and so that's kind of a funny a funny way that they came up with the names, you know, for the heroes by by just taking the name of the company and and uh, making that, <laughs> making that the the thing that is the heroes of the game. Well, it's certainly better than naming your, your hero Slim Goodbody. I will say that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Mister Goodbody. Yeah. All right. So now that we know the basis of fighting, <clears throat> what we're fighting for, let's get on to the gameplay and how we're fighting. So, like previous Darius games, separate buttons for regular forward fire and diagonal fire, such as missiles, lasers, etc. And the game, thankfully, has auto-fire for weapons. Yes. And you, pl- I played on the Mister because I did not feel like dealing with the multitude of concoctions, which is scarts, cables, and upscalers. But you played on the M2 variety so you yeah it's a little bit about what's different on that one yeah one of the cool things about the darius cosmic collection is that m2 actually uh added a nice little quality of life feature where that you could configure one of the buttons as a single auto fire button so instead of having to hold down one button for your forward shot and one button for your diagonal shot you can just hold one button and it will shoot both weapon types at the same time, which is a great feature and something that I was very thankful for uh, when I was playing through during the course of the month. Because I started on the Mister, I played a little bit on the Super NES, but then I started on the Mister and then partway through the month, I actually got the uh, Cosmic Collection in the mail. And so then I moved over to PS4, and when I saw that in the in the control options, I was I was very pleased and pretty much used that for most of the game. There's a couple of spots where there, there's one particular boss fight where it makes sense to only use one weapon type, uh, and we can get into that a little bit later. But but yeah, most of the time you're going to want to be all guns blazing. So if you have the cosmic collection. I would say that's the way to do it because not only do you get that quality of life feature, but then you also get the uh, other stuff that M2 is known for, like the save states and control options and things like that. And so, how do you power up in this game? 
Well, like a lot of the Darius games, there's a particular enemy type that you have to shoot down, and you have to shoot down the entire group in order to, to get your your power-up. And so in this particular game, it is these uh, groupings of six floating cubes, and I'm not sure exactly what the deal is with those, but it basically is three in a line toward the top of the screen and three in a line toward the bottom of the screen, and they sort of come towards you and then kind of double back and leave. And so what you want to do is take all of those out and then a colored power orb will appear. It's very Gradius-like. Yeah, in a way, it is it is very Gradius-like. And I'm sure because the Darius original Darius came out two years after the original Gradius, I'm sure that that was an inspiration um, during the development because a lot of these... You know, a lot of these things were probably feeding off of each other as one company puts out a game and then the guys go, you know, the the designers go to the arcade and play it. They're like, oh, we could do this, but maybe improve upon it. Or, you know, we could incorporate this, but in a in a different way to sort of make it our own. Yeah, I wonder, you know, this makes me wonder, it was sushi written off as development cost during this <laughs> with the fish theme. You know, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't think that's outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> Me either. So one one thing we got to talk about with the power ups is in this version, unlike the previous Darius games, power ups don't bounce off the scenery. You have to grab them quickly. I, I ran into this problem with stage five. I think it was stage five with a green mountain stage. There, the, the if you did it really quickly, it would just bounce directly into the mountains, and then you lose the power up. And right, that was pretty annoying. Yeah, it's like once you once you shoot down those cubes, the the power orb that it lets out just sort of drifts downward. So the 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 way to do it effectively is to make sure that the last one you destroyed is the one that's toward the top of the screen, so that you've got some time to try and pick that up and. You can power up to, I think, level 8, where they max out. It's either 7 or 8, based on what I was reading in the manual. And there are several different types of, of orbs that you can get. So, red orbs, which is typical for the series, will power up your main weapon. Green orbs power up your diagonal fire. So you start with a single kind of downward missile fire arc, and then... When you get another one, then it becomes two missiles, one shooting down and one shooting up. And then the third time, it's missiles shooting out from the back of your ship. And then the next one powers that up to forward or diagonal lasers up front. And then the next one is diagonal lasers behind. And then it's twin lasers. And then it's these purple orbs. And then the last one just makes the orbs bigger and stronger. The blue orbs give you a shield. Um, which will absorb a handful of enemy fire hits or bullets. Some enemy collisions it will help you with, but that typically uses up more shield. Uh, the shield will not protect you against ground collisions, uh, other than just little clips. And when you get bigger enemies that rush you, uh, which does happen, they will use up all of your shield hits within about a second. So if you can't move away from them or you get caught off guard, you're basically done dealing at that point. In a couple of spots in the game, you'll you'll get a yellow orb, which is like a smart bomb, 
So it will destroy all popcorn enemies on screen and damage the larger enemies. The There are orange orbs also, which are one-ups. I believe those are only available twice within the game. At least I only saw them twice. Uh, but that's my understanding. And then also, uh, there's a couple spots during the game. Once in stage... Uh, three, I believe, where you get a different type of item. That's this sort of octagon shape with a, a red bar through it. And that allows you to change your f- main forward weapon type from bullet type to laser type. Yeah, you pretty much in the game, you want, as you get later on, you want to stick to what's called the wave power-up. And that just kills for everything. You want to just keep that through the end of the game. Right. And that's an extension of the laser type. Because the bullet type, you just keep getting larger and larger and more powerful uh, energy orbs or large bullets. But the nice thing about the lasers is they're piercing, so they will pass through scenery. And so once you once you upgrade to the laser, you can start shooting through background elements and scenery and things to hit enemies behind and then the waves that you get when you eventually upgrade further will also pass through scenery so that becomes a a big deal in a couple of the later stages and a a good strategic element so yeah twice during the game you get to to upgrade or change once in stage three where you can change from bullet style to laser style and then again in stage six i believe you have the opportunity to change back to bullet style if you want. My recommendation would be, once you've moved to laser style, don't change. Yeah, don't change to Gungam style. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> yes, uh, Gungam style. <laughs> now, as I said, the game plays out over, over seven levels or seven stages, but there are 12 possible stages that you can have uh, or to choose from, essentially, during your your path. So stage one is always the same. That's Zone A. That is the planet Rillair. And uh, the mini-boss is uh, Dark Angel, which is a sort of angelfish that shoots these waves at you. And then the boss of that level is Killer Hygia, uh, which is a, uh, just a basic blue mechanical fish that shoots these indestructible bullet deals at you. And then also these destructible waves. Um, Stage two can be either Zone B, which is Planet Danto, or Planet C, which is uh, or Zone C, which is Planet Coloba. Right. I like to refer to them as Planet Alderaan because it's basically just a space stage, no matter what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it is almost like you're you're fighting in space where the planet used to be, or kind of alongside the planet, but you never actually see it. Uh, the mini boss is the Penta Shark, and then it's a it's a two boss fight. Actually, you've got Emperor Fossil and Queen Fossil, and they come on screen at the same time and sort of take take turns shooting at you. Right, one does the laser fire, and then the other does like a one does small lasers, and the other one does a large shot. And this is really where you first encounter what is known as the safe space. <laughs> yes. In in stage two, there is the ability to basically move your, your Silverhawk down to the bottom right-hand corner of the screen 
and just use your diagonal lasers to kind of clip the bosses from underneath as they come down toward the bottom of the screen. Now, you can fight them legitimately and beat them, and I did a few times, but it's a lot easier and there's no benefit to fighting them legit other than learning their pattern. Um, but that, that is one of the things that, that you find with several bosses in the game that you can sort of cheese out uh, pretty pretty easily by finding a safe space or a safe zone um, that you can kind of use to your advantage. Stage three is Zone D, which is Planet Lankus. This is always going to be the same no matter what your playthrough is. There's no mini-boss in this, in this stage, I think because there's a lot more um, scenery and a lot more obstacles that you can run into, and so there's no room for a mini-boss. Uh, but the end boss is Demon Sword, which is a sort of robot squid thing that will sort of extend its uh, tentacles out towards you and then shoots waves of bullets. Yeah, and two, two things with this stage. One, the reverb on this really gets to me when it goes really high-pitched for the music on this stage. Oh, oh that it hurts my ears when it goes really high-pitched. I love the soundtrack, but man, stage three just drives me nuts. And then the boss, Demon Sword, is a reference to their NES game, Demon Sword, which is a pseudo-sequel to the Legend of Kage. Yeah, and which is an interesting detail. Yeah, it's the only call-up that I think of in this game. There may be more that I'm not aware of. Yeah, I mean, most of the bosses in this game are recycled versions of bosses from previous Darius games. They're just a little bit different. There are a couple of exceptions, though. Uh, stage 4, you go back to two stages again. Zone E is Planet Padi, and Planet F, or Zone F, is Planet Rear, or Rear. Um... I was joking about that on my streams where it's you can either pick Planet Potty or Planet Rear. Well, at least it's not Uranus or Uranus, right? <laughs> exactly. Do with that what you will. Uh, but the mini-boss in that is Blowhard, and then the end boss is Dual Shears SP. Now, the interesting thing is if you go with, with Zone E, Dual Shears will be a red boss. But if you go with Zone F he'll be the sort of light blue color. And I don't know if this is a glitch or a behavior that's in the game, but when I went to uh, Zone F and encountered the blue version of Dual Shears, there was a point during the fight at which he just stopped shooting at me. I'm assuming it's a glitch of some kind, but uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. The other thing that we should talk about with Dual Shears is the safe space for him, which is right above in the center on there. You just basically dodge the shears that he throws at you, and you shoot him with a diagonal shot, yep. and you can take him down pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, that's another one where you got to do a little bit of moving around until you destroy those claws, the dual shears, so to speak, that are his namesake. Uh, but once those are destroyed, you know, he'll, he'll move back and forth on the screen, and he'll keep shooting bullets out in these uh, small spread patterns, but uh, they become a little bit harder to dodge because he shoots out those bullets and then also these lasers that fire forward. Uh, so if you're if you're positioned right out in front of him, that becomes harder to sort of weave through that stuff. So there's really no advantage to doing that. So yeah, you just want to 
go to the top of the screen and use your diagonal to sort of hit him in the face a bunch of times. Eventually, you'll damage him enough to knock off part of his exoskeleton, and you'll see the sort of robot innards. And then a little bit after that, you do more damage, and then you'll take him down. Yeah, he's really a hard boss to fight legitimately. You're best off just using the safe space. Yeah. Uh, stage five is the is the big one. That is three stages there. So that's either going to be jo- zone uh, G, which is planet Nurukini, uh, Narukini, excuse me, zone H, which is planet Karudo, and zone I, which is planet Sabia. And so they, they change things up just a little bit. Uh, the mini boss is Radiator, and then if you're in either in zone G or zone I, the boss is Dark Coronatus. And if you take Zone H in the middle, the boss is Red Mist, which is different and, in my opinion, is probably legitimately the hardest regular boss in the game because there is no safe zone for him and um, you you have to learn how to dodge what he throws at you. And that's the one example I talked about earlier where um, instead of using the, the single button fire... That was the one of those where you only want to use your forward fire so that you can um, have a little bit more control because he shoots out these orbs that kind of travel around the screen. And then if you destroy the orb, it splits off into four and then goes off in diagonal and, and will take you out. And so the the thing that you want to do is only shoot when his... Uh, what's, what I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? when his vulnerable spot is showing so that you can sort of control do control bursts and that way you're not destroying these orbs until they're right about at your level and when they fire off their diagonal burst they're going to be you know you're going to be out of the line of fire so to speak whereas dark coronatus is a fairly easy boss because you can go to the very top of the screen the top left corner and he'll shoot off a volley of three, like a spread of these three fireballs, and you'll be between the middle one and the top one in that top left corner. He'll do he'll do one that'll shoot straight out towards you. He'll tilt his head down and shoot one, and it'll go underneath of you, and then he'll come back up and do another one. After that, you move down to about a fourth of the way down the screen. He'll shoot out a volley of bullets... And then you move down again to just above the middle of the screen. And after two more volleys of bullets, he'll open up and reveal the the weak point, And you just keep start shooting. And it's like rinse and repeat two more times and you've beat him. And so that was one of those bosses that I figured out pretty quickly how to how to take him down. Yeah, the, the my biggest take on this is the crab enemy the that's the mid boss that is the toughest enemy in the game for me yes the radiator and i think it it's called the radiator because it does these these shots of these five large energy rings that shoot out in five directions they're similar to the large energy rings that um oh, it was either stage 5 or stage yeah. 6 in gyra's uh was shooting out Onion rings. Yeah, onion rings. <laughs> exactly. You shoot the onion rings. But it usually does them in a in a pattern of three different 
sort of directions where it shoots these things out. And it gets a little bit tough to sort of predict where and when they're going to go. Plus, when you destroy him, almost always he'll shoot out a final volley, like a revenge bullet kind of scenario. Uh, and I almost always take a hit from at least the the final uh, set of rings that come out. And so that is, yeah, that's probably legitimately the, the hardest enemy to defeat in the game because it can catch you off guard and if you don't know the pattern or even if you do when you're trying to also dodge other enemies in like later in the game uh, which we can talk about you know it gets tougher to kind of parse that out yeah I, I think this is akin to the Moai heads in the Gradius series in the way that that this enemy sort of deals with these bubbles, these flying Cheerios or bubbles that come out. You think you got the pattern down, but they can, because he's constantly moving, can be pretty hard to deflect and tell where they're actually coming out. So you, it takes a lot of trial and error. It's something that I think the M2 collection would be perfect for, where on the Super Nintendo version, if you lose a life, that's it. Where this, you can constantly use save states to practice this enemy's patterns over and over again. Right. And when I was playing earlier in the month, of course, on the Mister, there were no save states. So it was a case of get to stage five, take on the radiator, die. Ugh. Okay, start over. Get to stage five, take on the radiator, die. Ugh. And just kind of rinse and repeat. So Yeah, you were having a lot of radiator trouble. I, I was having a lot of radiator trouble. This is true. Zone 6 is back to two stages again, uh, or stage 6. Is, so Zone J is the planet Noeru or Noemu, depending on whether you're playing the Japanese or uh, English versions. It's Noeru in the original, and it's Noemu in the North American version. Or, or uh, Zone K is planet H Horolane. Uh, there is no mini-boss. Again, this is one of those stages with a lot of scenery and obstacles and things, so there's not really room for a mini-boss. And uh, and then the boss for Zone J is Full Metal Shell, which is the sort of robot turtle that um, moves around the screen in a sort of kind of oval pattern. Right. It's also the only boss I know of in the game that you can actually time out. Oh, okay. Interesting. I never timed it out uh, because I came up with a strategy for beating it. Again, the sort of safe strat is to either stay up toward the top of the screen and sort of move backward and forth to uh, avoid getting run into. <laughs> um, or my strat was to, uh, because there's this compartment that pops up uh, on the top of its shell that shoots out little mini turtles. Uh, and so what it will do is it will the compartment will pop out. It'll shoot out four mini turtles over the course of a few seconds or whatever. And then it will extend its neck out and shoot a volley of three lasers upward and a volley of three downward. And so basically my strat was to sort of follow him around and stay just above his head so that I could use the wave cannon to shoot out those mini turtles that were coming out and then the my diagonal shot would sort of damage his head and neck, which is the weak spot. Uh, and then once the four mini turtles had come out, then I would try to move 
above the shell so that I would avoid the, the, the neck lasers, so to speak. So that's in zone J. And this one coming up is my favorite enemy name of the entire game. Oh, yeah. In Zone K, the boss is Hyper Great Thing. Um, Great Thing is one of the recurring uh, fish bosses in the Darius series. And yeah, Hyper Great Thing. And it's it's not an easy fight. And I don't think there's a safe spot for this one necessarily, but it's doable. And then Stage 7 is always the same. That's Zone L, which is the planet Darius itself. So you're you're basically trying to go back to your home planet and take out the the alloy lantern, uh, the super alloy lantern, which is the the boss there. But the whole stage is a mini boss rush. Right, it's where all the mini bosses is. Something I didn't write this, but someone put this, and I love it. It's where all the mini bosses go to take their coffee break. <laughs> yes. Um, and so. They all show up there and in different different color schemes and different flavors. And then there are a couple of other enemies that are thrown in for good measure. This is another one of those where the way to, to get through this is to move into either the top right or bottom right corner and not shoot stuff, which isn't great for score, but from a safety perspective, the angelfish that come on screen, when they go up and down on the screen, they will not hit you. You will avoid their wave shots and you can avoid the bullets coming from the enemy that sort of comes up from behind and shoots out a wave of bullets. The thing that you'll have to watch for is those giant enemy crabs. Yes. When you get most of the way through the stage, the, the giant crab, the radiator will come along and you'll have to take it on. But it's harder this time because there will be other enemies on screen at the same time. So you'll have that to contend with. So there will be less space for you to move around and avoid those those energy rings that it shoots out. Yeah, you know, I got to love video games because if someone hasn't played Darius or didn't know what this was, they would be confused as all heck. And you got to avoid all these giant angelfish. And then this radiator comes along. You got to shoot it. <laughs> so thank, thank goodness, video games are here to entertain us. Yes, and someone mentioned during the course of the month that if you shoot enemies down and take stuff out while you're going through that boss, that mini boss rush, more stuff will come uh, to take its place. But there's a limit of how many sprites are on screen at one time. But if you take out too much stuff before you get to that point, you can actually spawn two of the radiators. So unless you're super hyper mega good at shmups, uh, I would not recommend doing that because one of those is bad enough, but two of them would be just ridiculous. Yeah, avoid the radiator trouble altogether. Yes, avoid radiator trouble whenever possible is good life advice, both for your vehicle Indeed. and for your shmups. Yes, so that way you don't get burned. <laughs> yes. All right, now enough with the bad jokes here. But the, the the funny thing about the final boss is the final boss isn't actually the final boss. And this is not a true last boss kind of a thing. It's just that when you beat Super Alloy Lantern, uh, because the mini boss rush is all in space, then 
you sort of transition to a final confrontation with Great Tusk, which is a sort of uh, robot seal kind of boss. But the interesting part about that is Great Tusk is super easy to beat after beating Super Alloy Lantern because that boss is harder. Uh, so it's it's very anticlimactic. Yeah, I would put the uh, Super Alloy Lantern akin to Stage 4 from... Or is it Stage 3 from R-Type where you're fighting the big battleship? Yeah, yeah, it's similar to that. It's It's not quite on that scale, but that's kind of the idea is... You're taking out. You're you're fighting the various defenses on this on this giant fish. Yep, yeah, and there's another game that we covered earlier that has a, sort of the same structure for a boss, and that would be Steel Empire. Was that the first stage? I think it was that had that. Um, we're taking out the defenses. Right. Yeah, the very first boss sort of had that where you're trying to take out the different cannons and things like that, and and that's sort of a recurring theme with that game on a couple of the other stages with bosses and mini bosses and things like that but my my assumption is that once you take out super alloy lantern then you fight great tusk but that is actually it's on the planet so my guess is that is the sort of final final confrontation to liberate the planet darius um now that you've taken out super alloy lantern you can go down and take out great tusk and then the Galactic Federation can reclaim Darius, I guess. That would be my my assumption. It's very similar in the way to that Gradius plays out, right? And his Gradius always has a super hard last stage, and then the emboss, by and large, has been pretty easy. Right. Yeah. Except for in Gradius 5, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, so it, it's just kind of a, a goofy little detail like that that almost feels like it was an afterthought. But maybe instead of doing it to make it hard because you already went through the utter gauntlet that is the mini boss rush and the super alloy lantern fight, which isn't super easy. You know, it's it's definitely challenging. Maybe they made the great tusk fight easier just to sort of give players a break to say, okay, this is your reward for for beating this hard stage and this hard boss is you get this this sort of final boss that is a bit of a pushover that just sort of gives you that sense of victory there at the end. So I don't know. Maybe it's sort of similar to, uh, they're trying to figure things out. It's like, hey, Kira, you remember that concept art that you wrote for that that was said we weren't going to use in the game? Well, just bring it on over. We'll put it in the game. (laughs) Nowadays, it would be DLC, right? You have to, I mean, that's the way Darius ended up going. Everything is now DLC. Oh, yeah, with Chronicle, Chronicle Saviors. Yeah, so thankfully you didn't have to pay five ninety nine to see the true ending. Like, what what was that Capcom game? I'm, it's a picture in my mind that was there. It's a full motion video game. Oh, um, Ashra's Wrath. In order to get the full the true ending, you actually had to pay for the DLC. Oh, right. I could just see that happening these days. But anyways, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it's quite interesting to see it not be a. Oh, what's the word? So this that quote you hear. So this is the way the world ends. Not with a bane, but with a whimper. Oh, sure. Types the narrow, yes. Yeah, it, it, it is a little bit like that. But when I finally got to the end and beat Super Alloy Lantern and then realized, oh, there's more, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed that it was a pushover boss fight because 
at that point, I was like, okay, there's, you know, I've I've gone through all of this. Didn't I beat the game? So, to me, it was like, okay, so I just have this simple boss fight to take care of, and then I'm done. Other players who crave that heavy challenge may be disappointed, but ultimately, I... I feel like it almost was an afterthought in the design. Yeah, if they create heavy challenge, they should go after Demonizer or uh, Super XYX. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we'll be covering at least one of those next year. Yes. Now, one of the things that is, I guess, or was a staple of the Darius series early on in terms of the design is that a lot of the enemies don't shoot bullets at you or or anything else. Now, as the game goes on, there are enemies that start to do that, but a lot of the popcorn enemies come at you in waves and they don't shoot bullets or lasers. And so it's more about learning where to be on screen, learning how to position yourself, knowing how to read enemy waves, things like that, so that you can take them out before they ram into you. And so with that... You know, a lot of the enemy waves, they have static power or static positioning or static patterns. But then, like, there are some enemy types that will change up where they're going to be on screen relative to your position. Um, there are these tiny little red ships that will fly in these patterns of six or eight. I can't remember exactly. And they sort of do this little arc that it'll go. And it'll, it'll either be, they'll either come on screen and be super slow and you can just take them all out, or they'll come on screen and they'll be zooming at really high speed. And so it's a matter of watching for those and moving out of the way to make sure that you're not getting hit. And so that's kind of a, a little bit of an RNG element in the game. Yeah, thankfully it didn't take a page out of 1942's playbook where everything is on a trajectory to kill you and then just fires directly where they believe you to be heading. And most of the time they're right. Yeah, I mean... Some of the later games, they would introduce more bullets and make enemies more dangerous. But in this game, at least, the big thing is knowing when and where enemies are going to be coming from. So it's more about memorizing enemy patterns and locations so that you kind of know where to move the ship, when, so that you can take them out before they take you out. There are a couple of instances where the where if you take out enemy waves fast enough, or depending on your position on screen, other events will occur. Like, it'll trigger certain additional enemy waves or whatever. Um, for example, in the first stage, there's an enemy that comes on uh, partway through the stage, I think before the mini-boss, and it's this sort of missile launcher thing. And it comes from the backside of the screen, and it comes forward, and it will shoot these quasi homing missile things at you and what you want to do is you know move forward as it comes on screen so that after it shoots a missile you can sort of zip zip down and take it out and you know that way it doesn't have a chance to pick you off but during the course of the stage depending on how many enemies you're taking out or your position on screen there's a, a chance that there will be a second one of those that will come along. And so early on in the month when I was playing, I spawned that second one a lot. Well, at some point, I kind of had devised a strategy 
to sort of keep my ship toward the back of the screen, but further up so that I could pick off the, the waves of those little red ships that come in in those arc patterns. And most of the time when I did that, and I wasn't toward the bottom where that guy would come out, it would not spawn. And I don't know if that's because of the number of enemies that were on screen or, you know, exactly how that works. But but yeah, there are times like that in the game where certain enemies will spawn given certain conditions. Or if you destroy an enemy wave fast enough, you might get another enemy wave that will come along as a sort of bonus so that you can score more points. So I yeah, I, I, it was I think interesting. you just overslept. What's that? I think you just overslept. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that missile launcher should be fired. <laughs> fired out of a missile launcher. <laughs> yes. So, uh, what do you think of the graphics in this game? I think they're beautiful. No, I think that they have a really colorful nature of them, too, which does a really good job. If you look at some of the earlier Darius games, they are... A little bit lacking in the color palette, where everything has this sort of like bluish tint to it, a little bit subdued. I think that this is a game that's saying, hey, this is specially made for the Super Famicom. We have a lot more colors, let's use them, and I think it works really well. I don't get sort of like a Caribbean vibe the entire time where we're dealing with tropical fish. It's not quite that other end of the spectrum either where everything is super saturated, it hits a nice medium. And I could tell what most of the enemies are, you know, if they're blue, purple, or whatever you want to have for the colors for these. Everything was pretty well-defined. I didn't have any shots that seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, I'm okay with a, a lime green shark as a boss, or in a lime green... Uh, uh, another shark on here, or a big giant seahorse. It's, it's fun. And I think it works well. Yeah, I remember being kind of wowed by it when I first saw it uh, as a kid. And the thing that I think of is, you know, you think of of Darius 2, and that first stage is a sort of floating above the lava. So you've got the darkness of space, and then you've got all this red and orange lava that you're, you're floating above. It's not very colorful. Now, the game does get more colorful as you go along, but... The original Darius was pretty colorful, but a lot of the colors were very muted and a little bit drab. And I don't know if that's just a consequence of the available technology at the time with the graphics or what, but the, the graphics in this are very bright and they pop, you know. It's very vibrant, I guess is the right word I want to use. And so I think it's probably the most colorful and I'll say vibrant again. Uh, of the Darius games to that point. Sorry, I, I want to add in real quick. I think it, it's vibrant without being saccharine. Yes. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, my understanding is that some of the backgrounds are, like, reworked from previous uh, Darius games. But again, they're a lot brighter and and more colorful and more interesting probably this time around because of the use of the Super NES palette. And then uh, there's also some cool parallax going on in certain areas of the game, particularly in Zone G, where you're sort of up in this... You're you're in the clouds somewhere. Uh, so I don't know if this is clouds over top of this planet um, that 
uh, that you're flying over, um, either Narukini or Karudo or Sabia or whatever. But that was a that was a pretty cool, pretty cool uh, graphical effect there, where it was like some of the layers of clouds were moving, looked like they were moving to the right, and some of them looked like they were moving to the left. So it was almost like. I don't know. I'm not even sure how to describe it other than that. And it's a, it's a neat effect. Visually, it's kind of striking. Yeah, and how they have a move at a different... You see that in stage two or stage three, whichever way you want to... Well, both stage twos, I should say. Where they have three different background layers and they're all moving at a different speed to give the idea of parallax scrolling. It does a neat effect when the... In that stage in the space scene, it does a great job as you've got the cloud scrolling by... And especially on, it's not quite the Red Mist stage, I'm trying to think, it's stage 5, right after the Green Mountain stage, and you fight the uh, the lobster, or d- double shear, oh, double yeah. shear you, where you just have the, you're just going and ascending down in the clouds, and their clouds are all moving at a different s- speed. It's really done really well, and it's not something that you'd see outside of, let's say, Thunder Force 4, which does it beautifully. Right. We talked a little bit about the how great the graphics look. What about the soundtrack? There, I already mentioned that I had some trouble with Stage 3, but I like the soundtrack overall. What was your impression? I love this soundtrack. This is one of those shoot-em-ups from the era that, in my mind, gets it right. In the sense that one of the elements that draws me to the genre of shmups is that so many of these games have really good music. And you really have to, because a game like this, in order to clear the game properly or, you know, play it over and over again for score, you're going to hear these tracks over and over and over again. So either you need to come up with something that just works as background music and is totally forgettable, but doesn't get in the way, or you need to come up with something that is compelling and interesting so that it is a sort of motivation to keep playing because it's good stuff that you like listening to. And I think that's the case in this game. This soundtrack I find very memorable. Uh, When I picked this up, uh, I would say a decade or so ago and was playing through it seriously and um, I reached the the mini-boss rush in the final stage. Never did beat it years ago. But the soundtrack in the game left an impression on me. And I tend to be one of those people that prefers the Sega Genesis to the Super NES most times because I sort of prefer that that sound. As long as it's not the gems. Right. Uh, but but in general, I, I tend to prefer the Genesis sound and the, the feel of that versus a lot of what we got on the Super NES. But like Gradius 3... This is one of those where I feel like the Super Nintendo hardware was used to great effect for this type of game, and they made a soundtrack that has memorable songs, but that also sound good. And so, those who watched my streams, they saw that I was... uh, Or they heard that I was whistling along with a lot of these tunes while I was streaming. And, I mean, several years ago... Even before I revisited the game, I had a uh, an MP3 of the Stage 1 music that I used to use as a ringtone on my phone. Uh, and so this is one of those soundtracks from the 16-bit era that has always stuck with me as long as I've known it. And when I came back to it 
the first three or four stages, I still re basically remembered the melodies uh, because this is a soundtrack I revisit fairly frequently just listening to as background music at work and that kind of a thing. So I really like these tunes and I just think this is a, it's not among Zintata's best work, but for what it is, for when it came out as a console exclusive game, I think they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I, th I think that this is one of those titles that definitely surprised me at how well polished it is and how the design, as we mentioned earlier with the arcade conversion, a lot of times the emphasis on was on the whiz-bane whiz factor of getting your quarter, but not much after that was thought on how it's going to translate to a home console release where you're not required to put quarter after quarter in. This is a package that has been well thought out and well executed. It's also surprisingly cheap these days, so I would highly recommend everyone pick this up and give it a shot. Yeah, and one of the things that I like about it too is that there's some variety in there. You know, the first stage is that sort of major pump-you-up kind of theme that's high energy and, you know, is very much a what's the word i'm looking for just that sort of tune that draws you in and is like yeah you're gonna go on an epic adventure here uh and then as you go along the music changes uh different in different ways you know some of it's a little bit more downbeat particularly in that zone that's sort of in the clouds that i mentioned where it's all very yeah. uh mellow and kind of weird sounding and then in stage six, you get this sort of almost bluesy kind of upbeat number that has a, a different feel to it. And so I really like the variety in it, too. You know, I was thinking if Mark MSX can invent words, so can I. The game has, you know, shmup ability. <laughs> nice. You know, I, I almost see like this bad rating here. From A to L, from zones A to L... Darius Twin is a blast. Yeah. There, there's just many ways you can go about it, but if you, if you get yourselves a Super Nintendo, Super NT, a Mr., definitely worth a playthrough in 2020 or beyond. Yeah, for sure. And if you bought the Darius Cosmic Collection as well, you know, don't sleep on this game. The, the one interesting note I want to make is that, speaking of the Darius Cosmic Collection... There's something that when you're going through the game selection that I thought was interesting is apparently the original Japanese version of the game is mono audio, but they reworked it a little bit for the Western release. That actually has stereo, and I would say it's a pretty good use of stereo audio because while I'm streaming, I'm wearing headphones, and so I'm listening to it, and I can hear the stereo separation, and there are some really cool effects of stuff going back and forth from ear to ear. You could say it makes you grin from ear to ear? It does indeed. I think that's my sentiments exactly. And now that we've given our thoughts on the game, let's take a look at some of those who joined us on our journey. I'd like to start out with Gravybeard. Love the username, especially this time of year. Yes, literally just picked this game up a few months back, and I'm so glad it made the list. <laughs> uh, our resident shmup uh, guru, I'll say Zoido, joined in, says, Started to get into uh, a bit into scoring yesterday. 
As Metalfro already mentioned, you can milk some of the bosses. The turtle boss seems to be the most efficient. I tried milking the Coronatus boss too, but it's not worth the effort, I think. I would agree. You can also milk the Super Alloy Lantern boss in L-Zone during its final phase, where he shoots the little piranhas at you. Uh, yes, but that is a lot more risky. Uh, later in the thread, he says, I did some experimenting with the final zone today. I wanted to know if it pays off to shoot the mini-bosses, or at least some of them, instead of hiding in the upper right corner. But the more enemies you shoot, the more appear. I stacked up two crabs. Okay, so that's where it was. I stacked up two crabs and a shark at once today, which is kind of nightmarish. The shark mini-boss doesn't even appear when you use the safe spot. To me, it just seems impossible to get a proper way to this zone without using the safe spot. If I tried to find a route or strategy, uh, some enemy crashed into me, coming out of nowhere. It just seems totally random, even though I know nothing in shmups is random and it's nearly impossible to find a rhythm. Anyhow, the score you get by shooting the enemies doesn't seem to be worth the effort. I would have to agree. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. I tried to find a way to really power through the uh, the coffee break room, and it just is brutal. I, I don't know. I'm sure someone out there can do it, but it's going to require a lot of dedication and some good shmup skills in order to deal with that zone without using the safe spot. For sure. Our, our next comment comes from us from Fomacho. My apologies that I haven't posted, but I've been playing. I enjoyed steady improvement, and I've reached the last stage boss rush, but I fear it may be the wall for me for a while, and you're not alone on that. Yeah. I played a lot of the original arcade Darius last year, and I like the iterative improvements this console sequel has, but mostly there's no power down punishment for death, and the bosses are a bit more fun too. Yeah, I really wasn't any, aside from the um, radiator, nothing in here made me want to throw my controller or anything else. Yeah. Uh, Cork chimed in and said, That last level boss rush is brutal, but I finally cleared it and the whole game. And so he took the uh, zones A, B, D, E, G, J, L, which was the upper route. He says, the boss rush is much harder than the last boss. This is true. Interestingly, my score isn't as good as my previous score. How many points do you get with that weapon downgrade in zone J? Going to try the lower routes now. And I never did figure out what that, that weapon change type icon is worth. Uh, so I may have to go back and look at that at some point. I don't think it's worth it, but that's just my opinion. All right, and our last comment comes to us from the ever-persistent Dougley007. First time breaking a million, trying to get that memorization down, but no safe states to practice. I'm very happy with that score, and you should be. It's definitely one of these games that took a little bit while to get... What do you think? you think that stage three, or what would you see as the first wall in this game? Um... Possibly stage three, in part because of all of the scenery and obstacles you can run into, but also there's a couple of spots where enemies come in from behind, and if you're not expecting them, they'll be a problem. Or even if you are expecting them, they're one of the few enemies that shoots bullets, and so when you get two of these guys on screen at once shooting a bullet spread, if you're not positioned very well, they can easily take you out. So yeah, stage three is probably a, an early wall. 
That's a great score, Dougley. Keep it up. Yeah. And speaking of scores, what are our high scores for the month? So, unsurprisingly, uh, Zoido has the top slot. I don't know which path this was, but he got 4,468,500 points. I'm assuming there was some uh, boss milking going on with uh, some of that. Cork came in second with 3,168,800 points. Again, I don't know which path that, uh, that he did there. And I cleared the game, but funny enough, my clear wasn't my highest score. My actual highest score was reaching zone L, but not clearing. And I got 3,162,900 points. I think that's because I probably had a couple of deaths earlier in the game and had to replay a couple of sections. So there was probably, there was probably some additional points there. Fomacho, once again, not a clear, but ended up with 2,767,800 points. And then Dougley007 had 1,042,200 points, and he managed to reach Zone I. So thank you to everyone for participating and for uh, sharing your scores. And I would say to Dougley especially, I know he has mentioned in previous months that he gets frustrated with these games that he's not good at them but that's a big improvement you know from starting out with the game and within just a you know a week or two getting to the point where you're more than half a halfway through the game and breaking a million points so yeah congratulations to everybody so final thoughts uh final thoughts on this is I definitely want to play more of the Darius series. I am looking forward to playing G Darius sometime in the future, as well as going back and trying some of the other ones. I I think this is an interesting start to the series, and maybe when we uh, eventually deal with Darius Burst, and you know when it's on sale and it doesn't cost three hundred. Well, the, at this point, the price of a PS Five to get all the DLC. Mm. Right. But I, I would highly recommend the game as anyone who was even casually interested in Shmupstar STGs to give it a shot. It is definitely well polished. It's not something that's going to be overly frustrating to people who aren't, you know, Don Maku or Toho experts on here. It's just pure, clean fun. And if you play it for five minutes, you're going to, and turn it off, you're still going to have a good time. Yeah. And, and I would say too, to sort of add to that, uh, particularly if you if you get the Darius Cosmic Collection and you get to play some of these games through that, make use of the save state feature. Not only because it'll help you learn the game more and get through it faster, but also it's a great way to to practice certain things. You know, it's a great way to learn where the safe spots are or to try to fight the bosses legit and learn how to do that so that you're not, you know, cheesing them out because that's just going to make you a better player. But yeah, I would say this is, this is a game that's still worth a look, still worth playing and still worth putting some time into because it's just a, it's just a fun, a fun game. Could have said better myself. All right. So let's, now that we've talked about the game, let's talk about what's coming next. In the month of November, we're going to find out what's for dinner with Jamestown Plus. Yes. And that's available on the PC, the PS4, and the Switch. 
And in December, get your Sega Master System ready. We have the Flight of the Pigaris, which I believe will be our first uh, caravan shooter. Yeah, our first strictly caravan shooter. Um, it's a free download. Uh, we have a link in uh, the post that's on the forum for where to download that. And you can play it via emulator or flashcart or on like the Mister. And it has a two-minute mode and a five-minute mode, like a traditional caravan-style shoot 'em up. And so we figure for December, you know, this is a game that you can throw on and play for a few minutes, get a, a handful of short runs in, not have to waste a lot of time with it, learning, you know, complex chaining or or levels or things like that. This will be a great way to to end the year but still have some fun shmup action for the month. And then we've got big news for 2021, where in conjunction with Mark MSX, we start our shmup of the year for 2021, which is Battle Grega. Yes. And uh, that is a an arcade game originally from Rising that came out in the uh, mid-90s or late 90s, uh, was available on the Sega Saturn, that version is expensive now, but it is available on PS4 and I guess even Xbox One digitally. You can get it from either PSN or the Microsoft Store for uh, for those consoles. And it is available in North America, uh, at least. I don't know if it's available on European PSN or, or Xbox Live, but uh, there's also a physical version that you can get... Which is probably the cheapest. Yeah, through outlets like Play Asia, um, it was a it was an Asian region release, so I think it came out in South Korea. And then there's the limited run, which but that's USA centric, right? And the limited run version, of course, is sold out. Um, it's still available at an okay price if you want to go with just the vanilla version. For those of you who didn't o- order it uh, up front. The limited edition version of that is now expensive, so keep that in mind. But uh, emulation, of course, is is perfectly fine. You know, if you can't afford to buy it or whatever, don't feel bad if your only option is Mame or RetroArch. You know, th- that's that's going to be valid as well. All right. So now we've got the games out of the way. I'd like to give a shout out to Studio Mudprints for helping design the logo. And speaking of the logo, can you tell us where we can find some awesome orange shirts? <laughs> yes. The podcast shirts are available at Redbubble. Just search for Shoot the Core uh, dash cast, and you'll find our shirts there. We have the main logo design, and we also have uh, the, the logo, the alternate version of the logo for the guide-in episodes uh, that you can buy, so you can choose either one and pick from one of many colors and get a t-shirt or a hoodie or uh, I think you can even buy like coffee mugs and stuff with a logo on it. So pretty cool. Excellent. These days I need another coffee mug. I tell you, one cup of coffee is not doing for me. I need to have two in order to stay up. <laughs> All right. I'd also like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. Everybody at RF Generation and in, with the RF Gen Playcast. I'd like to thank everybody who is doing their best to continue on with the 2019-2020 RF Gen NES Challenge. I'd like to thank Metal Fro for always being entertaining with his streams and 
dogs that uh, always try to distract him from his dreams? Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, if you'd like to connect with us, um, follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast, or you can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Join RFGeneration.com and join in a Shmup Club playthrough, or join the Discord and talk to us there. We do have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic in the Discord uh, channel there. Uh, subscribe, review, and rate the podcast on your preferred platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, or Google Play, the uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and uh, we also have the latest episode up on SoundCloud. And you can also follow me on Twitch to get notifications of new streams. That is twitch.tv slash guru gameboy. Anything else that we need to hit on before we finish up? Yeah, I'd also like to uh, thank Aqua and the uh, STG Weekly crew. I have been following those and watching those some more lately, and I'm doing a great job at doing that. Yeah, and, and I would say uh, also a shout-out to Mark MSX for a very successful Shmup Slam 3 event. For those of you who didn't attend or haven't gone and watched the the video archives of those, check those out. They're on the uh, YouTube. Uh, they're on YouTube, the Electric Underground channel. Some really good runs of some pretty cool games there, and uh, a couple of surprises, but some really good content. My favorite had to be the Germany or German run of Jamestown Plus. Oh yeah, that was amazing. It was a four-player run on the divine difficulty level and it was a lot of fun to watch so definitely check that out that's actually linked from the thread on the forum i've i've linked to the the video for that and so definitely definitely go check that out and also i want to give a quick shout out to cork who participated uh this month this is totally unnecessary but he sent me a couple of game boy games that i didn't have for my collection. So thank you for doing that. That was very nice of you and um, just a really nice gesture. And so I appreciate that. So keep that in mind. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, alrighty. Well, thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next month. Thank you again.